Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and this is our first ever live episode. As well as welcoming three esteemed guests to the show, I'd also like to extend a welcome to you and everybody who's joined us live. Please get involved with the comments and conversations. Whilst we might not get through many of your questions, consider the comments your own back channel. If we don't get to your contributions during this chat, then we'll endeavor to do so in other ways afterwards. Now, Without further ado, hello, Barbara Thompson, Adam Harwood, and Bob Mosier. Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, David. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. Um, I'll come to you each in turn and ask how you're doing. Barbara, can I start with you? Where are you? How are you personally in light of the repercussions of coronavirus? And how are you adapting? Big questions there, um, David. Uh, First of all, thank you for organising this and to loop for all of the organisation. Fantastic. Um, In terms of how I'm doing, you know, um, I'm I'm well and I'm safe and healthy. So uh, that's a a very good place to be in under the circumstances. Um, I'm finding the language of isolation and uh, lockdown far too heavy for me to bear. So I'm reframing with language such as um, I'm having me time um, and that's Mm. kind of served me well, uh, just a sort of choice of language. And uh, the other thing that's keeping me going is just the sheer human dimension, what's happening, the connectedness, um, the human endeavour, the innovation, Mm. the compassion, all of that stuff is is superb. And so that's Mm. what's keeping me chipper under the circumstances. Wonderful. Thanks, Barbara. Uh, Bob, where are you? How are you and how are you adapting? Well, greetings, friends. First off, um, thank you, uh, David, and Luke for inviting us to this and my esteemed colleagues on the panel. So um, fortunate to be here. Uh, blessings, peace, safety, health to all of our uh, global uh, colleagues who are di- dialing in from across the world to this. Uh, we're well. I'm in uh, just south of uh, what's called Charlotte, North Carolina here in the United States. It's uh, 10 a.m. our morning. Uh, we are in the third week of our lockdown in my part of the world. Obviously, we know this is moving across the globe and causing different uh, times for that. Uh, companies, well, uh, clients are, are hard at work, as we'll talk about today, right, in, in moving and in, into the workflow, addressing the performance needs in an unparalleled way. I, I think the most significant adapting, David, I've had to do to this, honestly, personally, as a learning professional, is the is keeping up with the sheer collective conversation that's going on around the globe um, about what we do next as L&D leaders. Uh, this is my 15th, you guys, session like this in three weeks. I don't know 15 of these like this in a year. Um, Stop counting at about 1,500 leaders, global learning leaders and suppliers that I've um, been fortunate to talk to or listen to. Um, and I am excited about the shift I'm starting to see, which I hope we talk about today in the dialogue around the importance of uh, how we address performance and, and workflow and such. But um, it's, it's, to Barbara's point, it's just been sheer overwhelming to me at the connectedness and the collective. Con- I've never seen a collective global conversation around learning like we're experiencing today. Mm, yeah, likewise. Thanks, Bob. Uh, and Adam, where are you? How are you personally and how are you adapting? Hey, guys, thank you. Uh, I echo the thanks from everyone so far to you David and everyone for listening and tuning in I am in London at the moment I'm at home obviously um, and for me personally I'm just trying to keep busy uh, keep positive and get a routine and I would say the same as Bob and um, Barbara which is you know I've, I've never seen so much dialogue about L&D what we can do the opportunity and I'm glad we're we've got an opportunity to explore it further in this podcast. Mm. 
Well, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for, uh, for joining us. Um, now, so many organisations are on hold uh, and their business as usual has been totally disrupted and other organisations are on full alert. It's, uh, it's boom time uh, for them in one way or another. Now, Adam, your organisation is at one of those extremes. What's going on with you and how are you coping being the L&D lead? Okay, um, so I work in hospitality, uh, work for a company called D&D London with about 43 restaurants across New York, Paris and London. And I would say without doubt that hospitality is one of the industries that's been hit hardest by this. You know, we went from operating and trading as normal um, to business as usual. And in the space of three days, we're instructed by the government across New York, Paris and London to shut down our restaurants. So, mm. you know, that was uncharted territory and you know, it's been full of challenges. And obviously, as a result of that, those people um, working for us and are still working for us, but lots of questions uh, and we've had to act quickly you know we've had to keep that dialogue open keep uh, communicating to them but at the same time we've had to be patient as well because a lot of information we've had to wait on from the government and we've had to keep on um, speaking to our people even if there's no information at some point so um, I think at the moment I think in terms of how I'm coping it's about offering as much guidance as we possibly can because people are being anxious being stressed and you know like everyone else, they're feeling like uncertain about what the future holds. And I think at the same time, while it's it's been three weeks now or so in isolation, we've already or, already started turning our attentions to how we can then prepare our people for that transition they make when the, the, the restrictions are lifted and we we can offer um, people to go back and start working in the restaurants. And again, that's going to be a new world, as, as you say, David, it's a new normal. What does that look like for people? And it's going to be of new practices and new ways of working which you've got to guide people through every step of the way yeah um it's it's quite interesting i love the the richness of uh, of of your example there is that um whilst you know you look at linkedin and there's still a lot of talk about how you might set up for remote working whereas in organizations things have moved on a little now you know it's gone from that's new and novel how can we prepare you for this new normal into right now we need you to operate you know th those of you are still with us uh, i don't know about you i've been on the phone to contact centers um, and whilst wait times are longer and the call quality uh, in terms of the the um, the telephone line isn't as great what i'm getting at the other end is as as, as close to business as usual as you can expect so there is this element of how do people still function within their roles to keep the organization going and then what you've just touched on there adam which is a lot of organizations have realized that this is there there is a finite amount of time in which we can hunker down like this and in hospitality especially you've got to expect and be ready for that right now we're we're ready to come out the other side of this and it's not just a case of opening the doors it is a, it's, it's the same people we care about working from home or being without the the structure and the pay uh, and the regularity of work to back to to performing for us in uh, in what might be uncertain uh, and uh, and a new normal um bob what it, what is it that you're seeing yeah well i i think there's an irony in the on hold statement, right? And I think you, you two just described it brilliantly is I think that organizations shop out of business are anything but on hold. Um, mm. What I think is on hold, friends, is, is the old ways in which we did things, the environments and workflows in which we went into. 
um, the support systems and colleagues with which we converse with every day. The, even the cadence, I was on a call the other day about the idea of biorhythms, frankly, of people and, and the fundamental shift of a colleague who described that we, when, when I used to have to commute into work and then had meetings to start the day and so on, uh, my day went, of course, till five or beyond. I said, I, I felt I tried to fall into that same cadence at home and I was done at one o'clock. Yeah. You know, and, and so so th this new normal we're talking about is something that I think L&D has to watch very carefully. People are getting things done, friends. People are working. Um, they're being creative and innovative and, and doing remarkable things, um, sometimes in spite of us, to be honest. Um, but an area which I think we have to watch, we've noticed, David, is that or the, the, the in, in, in reaching out to learners and, and asking what's helping. I think this is important for us to hear is that, is that what they're saying is that the services within their company that are helping them are three things, adaptive, responsive, and iterative. Adaptive, responsive, and iterative. In, in the context of business demands being uh, met every day and the, and the rapid rate of change. So my concern, friends, is if you hear those three words and you're an L&D professional, does that describe what you do? Does that describe how your team performs? Does that describe how you've responded to this crisis? Um, and, and so uh, the challenge to us, in my opinion, David, is do we perform um, in the old ways, right? Mm -hmm. is, is dumping 100 PowerPoints into Zoom, um, cranking out e-learning, uh, meeting the need? And, and I sound like I'm bashing those, and I don't mean to. We'll talk a lot about them in a bit in, as far as context goes. But I think we have to step back and offer just-in-time performance-based deliverables as the tip of the sword, which has not been in many L&D organizations, what we lead with. So there's a, a dramatic change in meeting this new on hold. And, and Adam, I agree with what you're saying, friends, the, the, the new normal is being defined now. Don't be fooled by the fact that we're home. And therefore, when we get back to work, and, and some of it will clearly be that, right? Because it has to do with you know, what that will be like. But at the same time, new normals are being created while we're sitting. How aware are we of them? How in support are we of them? And are we are we adapting what we make in service to them? Mm. I think that, uh, that what I'm taking from that, Bob, is that um, it's not necessarily the, the 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 mechanisms that we use, whether it be Zoom. I don't think you've said before on uh, on a, in our conversations that that you're seen as the anti-classroom guy, and there's nothing wrong with the classroom. A lot of the time, it's how we mm. actually use them. And if I could, I was listening to your podcast, Performance Matters, with Elliot Maisie, uh, on, and he describes how uh, we have taken the role in learning and development a lot of the time as publishers. So if we take the if what we're doing is publishing content. In, to be consumed, then we're missing the big opportunity, which Absolutely. is fully understanding what's required in order to advance and help with performance. But we don't do that by just making stuff available online in our platforms and, you know, and in ways that, uh, that, that we might think can now reach people. It's a different type of conversation. Clearly. And Barbara, yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah, oh, sorry, sorry Bob. I was just going to say, I, I think fundamentally, friends, we will emerge more as content aggregators than we came in as content curators, mm. creators, right? I think I think the, the new world of content aggregation is something we have to be open to, uh, understand the tools that do it and the methodologies. Mm. And what about you, Barbara? What are you seeing uh, when you're speaking with uh, with folks you know, clients and friends? 
Yeah, I mean, some really great points already um, mentioned by by Bob and Adam. So um, absolutely endorse that. I think um, from my own uh, company perspective, quite a lot of our employees are are home based. So from the perspective of of seeing a fundamental shift from that perspective, not so much, uh, clearly much more with with the clients. And we've already sort of talked about degrees of stopping and starting and pausing. And and in some instances, you know, it's just trying to keep the plates um, spinning. I think my own um, additional perspective is that I've always maintained that if we see learning much more as a service-based orientation rather than a sort of a factory of churning out stuff, which Bob has um, already mentioned, then to your point, um, David, about, you know, uh, operations already existing, they're slower, they're trying to respond to that. But if we take more of that mindset around it being a service orientation rather than churning out stuff, then we can look at this um, as an opportunity to to kind of pivot. Wonderful, I couldn't agree more. Um, so on to my next question. Um, spoiler alert, well, that wasn't really a spoiler alert, a te- more of a teaser. Now, I spoke <laughs> with Alice Collier-Niblin <laughs> from Monzo for the podcast last week, uh, and that'll be the next episode to go out. Uh, and being a disruptor bank, they're set up for the remote world. Um, I'm talking about the remote world of their their customers and clients uh, and their L&D function is busy supporting their people. Now, without without spoiling that episode too much, they see a great opportunity to lead with data-driven digital solutions supplemented by high-value virtual in-person experiences. Now, this is one example of the big opportunity for L&D here to reappraise the acceptance of activities, events and products that may only offer little value, much more towards effective and efficient practices that are designed to affect performance and therefore results. How do you see the opportunities facing us now, Barbara? I mean, great example um, and what you might expect of of sort of challenger organisations anyway. Uh, There's nothing more that I would add to that. I think it was, (laughs) you know, you you, uh, beautifully summarise that. I'm going to come at the opportunity from a slightly different perspective, which is around the degree to which leaders uh, kind of support learning and the mindset, uh, tone of voice and all of that. Um, And uh, what I would would equate it to is sort of seeing learning as this sort of this situation, this dynamic that we're in is terms of reviewing your relationship. No one wants to coast in a relationship. They want to sort of keep it fresh and and dynamic and make sure that you're still sort of understanding each other's needs and space, et cetera. And I think that's that's what's required here. Um, But I think specifically from the leadership perspective, I'd like to sort of see us taking some initiatives with um, humanising leaders and and basically supporting their organisation in this time. So some practical examples is that they can run some AMA sessions, some Ask Me Anything sessions, I'd like to also see leaders um, creating some, you know, really nice short form videos, really authentic. So this is my office space. Um, Here is a piece of memorabilia from my holiday in Corfu. Um, Here's my scarf. Um, I support Arsenal and just really sort of just giving a little bit of a peek and an insight and also crucially just saying to them that actually look we don't have all of the answers but what we will do is endeavor to share and and ask us um, what you feel is front of mind so so that's kind of my perspective about the opportunity i I love that barbara at disney we did a uh, uh, had a similar uh, series of sessions run by the communications team and one particularly memorable one um julie snedden who was um uh Senior Vice President, I believe, of 
the other thing, it was either Disney Store or an element of uh, of the retail division. And she did a, an Ask Me Anything. And I'll always um, remember that um, she was asked a question how she balances her home and uh, and her work, seeing as being a senior vice president, she was a great deal in the office. And, uh, and she told the story of, uh, of how she commits to her family. She had a, a young uh, young child and a husband that she would be home for an evening at a reasonable time, at least once a week, that they could build their home life around that. And that was mm-hmm. her commitment. The rest of work knew that. That was in her diary and she wasn't going to bow either way. I mean, when you take a look, as far as balance is concerned, it's, st- it's still very much skewed uh, for the um, towards the work, but it's a commitment there. And it was just a human story. I remember that seven, Absolutely. eight years later. Uh, and of course, that's not just a story yeah, of something yeah. you can do. It it helps you to relate. So you're having a look and going, oh, so you're not, so you're not actually superwoman, and you're not on this pedestal that I can never attain. You've got the same balances and choices to make as we all have, and you're you're doing that way. And so so, and rather than it being instructional, that's just something else in my toolkit that I remember. And I think in that position, that might be something that I lean on. And it's permission as well, which which a lot of this stuff can be when you've got people flying up the ranks and, and trying to be seen to be doing enough of the right things. So much of what we need to do in learning and development is make culture transparent and um, uh, in, people able to interpret that and then and then uh, use that for their own benefit rather than something that might be opaque and people seem to be doing one thing and it having to be interpreted through filters and through blockers for us to, to really know what's going on. So I, could, I couldn't agree more, whether it be face-to-face or uh, digital, the human element recognizing through stories and the, our ability to relate and unpack what's really going on in our organization is going to be of huge benefit. Uh, what what mm. about you, Bob? What, what are you seeing here as the opportunity that stands before us? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, in the technology challenge that you described mm. earlier. Um, and, and here's my concern, David and, and team, please respond to this. But um, my anxiousness is whether or not we as an industry can first adjust our mindsets and our methodologies to meet the technology challenge you just described. I mean, yeah. I think we're going to look back on this, friends, as an industry, and this will be a this is a methodology challenge uh, for us, not a technology challenge, although I'm a, <laughs> the technology that follows methodology clearly is, is, is a brave new world for us as well. But, but in the end, methodology drives what we do. We are in the instructional design business. It's what we do. So the bottom line I want to challenge the people on this call is, are we, and, and I love your reaction to this, but are we finally ready? Is this going to help us to finally be brave enough and courageous enough to step away from a training first model where we pivot on classes, e-learning, virtual instruction first? Or are we going to first design for context, consumability? Um, enabling workers to perform in the workflow. Um, to that, d- the digital description you gave David a moment ago, you know, and we're, we're seeing this in the move to virtual, right? We, I, all over the internet, there's these go into virtual, go into virtual. Um, and I described it earlier, that is not a technology challenge, friends. That is an instructional challenge, right? So to workers today, in my opinion, um, effectiveness and efficient solutions are ones that help them, listen to this, learn while they are doing. Learn in the context of work, not something digitally or otherwise that steps me away from that to consume, take in, juggle in the midst of all the rest of the noise I'm hearing, and then go back to the workflow and and apply. 
Um, that, that, that to me, David, is the pivot. Um, will we finally step up and challenge, if I may, the Addies of the day? Um, and really, and, and, and I think this, this moment's forcing us to as an industry and to not, I think, does a disservice to those we serve. Now, I could interject and I could add some stuff here, but I'm going to go straight to Adam because I know <laughs> that, that so much of what Bob has said there are a lot of your overriding principles. And I'd love, I'd love to know your thoughts then, Adam. Definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I'm fresh off being at Learning Technology and doing a talk on performance support, which I very much enjoyed. And I've talked a lot about what Bob often talks about, which is, you know, support with performance first. And, you know, if you then have to supplement with training, that's fine. But help people in their moment of need and in the workflow. And I totally agree with that. You know, and this this particular challenge we're facing right now, there's so many different challenges and questions that are coming up all of the time. We've got to be quick. We've got to adapt. We've got to meet people at that moment of need, because if we don't and we're too slow, then we'd be left in the dark ages. And I, I, that's the opportunity. We need to look at ourselves and think, how can we make sure that we're keeping up the pace with people's concerns, challenges and questions that they have? I think one point just to, to go talk about us and what we're doing right now, I think it's important that you be where your people are. Like we already know that like, I mean, I looked at my screen time the other day and I've gone up 39% or something crazy like that. <laughs> how much I'm looking at my phone right now. But we know that people are doing that now, but we know that people are doing that when they go back to work. They're Googling stuff. They are looking for the answer. They're seeking, they're seeking questions from people that know those answers. And I think if we can complete, have that mindset, as, as, as Bob said, it is a mindset thing. If we can continue to think that that's where our people are every day and every week, looking on Google, asking questions, that is the way that we can hone in or make sure that we're meeting our people and influencing performance as often as we can. That's so... And I think to humanize it, because you talked about adding that human element, is when they, when we do look after our people and we are making sure that we're serving up really useful stuff, it's, mm. it's, it's their real problems that we're actually solving. It's not just like content for content's sake. You know, I think it's actually, if we can answer the real challenges, concerns, and issues they've got right now, and we can continue doing that and being where they are, then I think that that's L&D really moving the dial and, um, being relevant, I think, mm. and mm. Especially, especially, you know, it starts here, and you know, and and it moves on further. You know, as, as mentioned earlier, we've moved past the how do you set up your workstation into how do you <laughs> operate as close to business as usual as you possibly can. As we as then we move through into what is the new normal? How do we prepare people? I mean. Let, let's face it: not all organisations, but certainly businesses, are going to be looking and thinking: how do we recoup the three months or whatever it is that we've lost uh, because we've got a window in order to to prove to, to to shareholders that we don't need to cut operating costs and I think that there's got to be a, a whole load of we're in this together but learning and development's role in that is going to be how do we equip people in order to to adapt and then thrive seek to thrive in in this new in this new way now it's almost as if you were pressing ground like pressing the button and creating a new ground zero for learning it for, for business and they'd say so so we're all we've all started now there's the business we've got to work now we've got learning and development what's your plan well we've got a schedule in order to get everybody through a excuse me like, yeah. like, <laughs> you, you, like you can't i mean you can't we yeah. are now this is the new microcosm this is now the point at which we go right we need to be able to press that button and equip people so that's you know i don't want to 
you've, you're, you're standing right here, right here, Bob. So I'd be um, foolish to, to go on too far after this next bit and say, um, be there at the moment of need to influence the moment of apply because that moment of apply is going to mean whether your people are doing what you require them to do according to your organization's expectations and rewarded behaviors in order to get the results that are required in what are now ridiculously challenging times. Bob, I've been paraphrasing you for a little bit. I think that's brilliant. But I would challenge us to be able to answer that question. Mm. You, you, just, you just laid out, David, what every business manager, owner, performer is waking up wondering every day. They're not wondering about leadership classes. They're not wondering about the sales process. They're not concerned about launching the CRM. You know, those, those they, 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 but that used to be the world we woke up to. Well, friends, that world is gone. It is not coming back. Um, it shouldn't come back. I, Adam, I so appreciate your, your, your very poignant um, point around. It is all about meeting the performance of the day. And that starts with us understanding what those demands are. And, and too often we have pivoted on content as what we thought was the answer to that. And it is always context. And I would challenge us as L&D professionals, the degree to which we understand, particularly in the world of today, what the context in which our learners are trying to perform and survive in today. Um, until we can cross that barrier now and when we leave this, um, I think we're going to be in a much better place and doing something very different. And that will be different across every single organization, that context Absolutely. Different across everyone. And it's not going to be solved by just going, here's uh, top tips on how to remote work at home <laughs> or you know anything like that. It's about what works in the context of your own organization that matters most. I think that's when you really know you're on the road Brilliant. to solving the problems your people have, I think. You, you, that, that's such a poignant point there, uh, there, Adam. I've worked in oh, six organizations, none of the cultures, nothing could overlap. I did make the mistake once, I said on a previous podcast, of delivering performance management training in one organization that I delivered in a previous one. And I, that was as close to being heckled as I've been in a, in a class. <laughs> it did not translate. Now I'm on, like, uh, uh, on the vendor side and I see across a lot of organizations and I can still say to this, to this point, what makes you successful in one organization is very, very rarely what will make you successful in another. And that's why I think that the, the employee insights, user insights is absolutely critical for being able to, to develop uh, and uh, provide solutions that actually uh, meet the mark. Now, at the, the risk of, uh, of um, cracking a walnut with a, with a, uh, sledgehammer. Um, my next question, I've seen posts along the lines of now it's e-learning's time to shine, as well as a post from Danny Seals, which reflected my own thoughts. And Danny wrote, what if we see the uprising of click next e-learning and MOOCs? So we can't really offer the same stuff that people weren't interested in before and expect it to make a difference now. Can we, Bob? Oh, my gosh, David, the definition of insanity, right? Expecting a different outcome <laughs> from doing the same thing over and over again. My gosh, you know, I, I think I'd restate um, that original thing about now, in my opinion, is the time for e-learning and other approaches in learning to find their proper place. Hmm. Right. Not necessarily to, to have to shine, per, to have one shine, per se, but for us as an industry to step back and look across the ecosystem. We use that word all the time. And, and to parts of the ecosystem we haven't even addressed, I'll talk about one in a moment, and, and find out where their proper place is in serving the chaotic world our learners in, and they will emerge from here, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, we have to, here's what's exciting for me, David. Right now, friends, in, in, as, in as catastrophic as this time is, and I don't mean to belittle that at all. At the same time, friends, we have a very open minded and receptive learner and buyer right now. They are desperate. I've talked mm. to them. They, they are facing some very overt performance challenges right now that they want us to step up and meet. So let, let me quote one of my one of my one of my favorite uh, reads from a guy named Dennis um, Palmer. I'm going to read this. I'm sure I say it right. Disruption makes things new again. And what might not have been possible suddenly is. I, I'm almost 60 years old. I can't think of a more disruptive time in our life. This is our time to step up to yeah. new methodologies and technologies that support learners in a different way. So, David, if I may, let me throw one out. Right. And, and this is one that's been around since 1991. You know my bias here, friends, if you've heard me speak before. But EPSS. Electronic performance support systems, and and that by the way, that term is is incredibly broad nowadays. The there this isn't the robo help of our grandfather's days, right? The, the the these these systems are remarkable in their ability to deliver learning, performance, support, uh, training in the context of work without learners leaving it in ways we cannot before. But I will challenge those listening: How many of you have one? How many of you know what one is? How I many of you know what the five leading suppliers are right now? We have got to step up here. Let's, oh my gosh, let's, please, and my gosh, I'm going to get hate mail, but let's not re, rehash e-learning and an LMS and a MOOC. God bless them. But let's use this disruptive time to do some innovative things. Adam, from your perspective, um, as I said, Danny, Danny said, what if we see the uprising of click next e-learning and MOOCs? Your view? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I completely, I mean, I've had a few chats with Danny now and I'd, I'd recommend looking at an infographic he put up uh, only recently on LinkedIn actually, which sort of shares the two camps um, that people could be in if they if they use this time wisely now, uh, come through the other side um, versus the people to just like put up loads of content in their learning management system that will soon run out of date. It's like, what camp are you in? And you can see that infographic is very good, but I think Danny's right, you know, you can this is about buying time, not products. And I think, you know, we've got to be careful not to take a back step because there's a real temptation to just fall into what we've always done um, because it's easy to kind of, like Bob said at the start, like turning your slides onto a Zoom call and then just repurposing that. And, you know, I've been getting LinkedIn messages left, right and center from vendors, you know, that are using this as a sales pitch now to say things like, now's the perfect time for virtual training. I'm like, no, it isn't. And it never was. And I think we, you know, I think we need to find ways of supporting our people as as um as Bob said, which is something that we do every day and every week. We can serve up the um, really useful stuff in context to what they need at that point they need it and make sure they're guided in this journey and the transitions they're going through now. And I think that, you know, like you discussed, the performance support system is one way of doing it. You know, I've, I've had experience doing it with online resources where you guide people. And for every step of the way with stuff that they actually need help with. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, it goes it goes back to the Elliot Macy part um, uh, that I mentioned earlier, Bob, where, you know, we, we're not in the publishing business. So the provision mm. of online solutions in inverted commas is it, it's it's such a small part of what we're talking about here. And 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 again, we can we can 
uh, have a go at the, the mechanism, whether it be e-learning or MOOCs, but a lot of the time it is how we use them that, uh, that's been the problem. And when we use them, perhaps the frequency in which we, uh, uh, we've used them uh, in the past. But, and that's a lot of the time without us having done, well, first of all, understanding what the critical point of failure is that we're seeking to address. And then having done that from the end user's perspective in order to, to help them to do what they're trying to do better. Too often, especially with e-learning, there's a we need you to know this approach. And I'm afraid without, Nick Shackleton-Jones mentions, without the concern, there's no hook to hang that on. That's just information that that, that can that, that is once received batted away once the, the multiple choice quiz has been um, has been uh, completed. And a MOOC, a different matter altogether. Barbara, going back to, uh, to Danny's point, Danny wrote, what if we see the uprising of click next e-learning and MOOCs? Um, we can't necessarily, we can't offer the same stuff that people weren't interested in before and expect it to make a difference now. What's your perspective on, uh, on that? I'm not sure if it's on the call, but can I say, Danny, if you are, thank you for adding terror when I already had terror in my life with that comment. <laughs> um, uh, I, I have some empathy, absolutely, for what he's saying um, uh, and, and agree. I, I heard the points that Bob um, Bob made. I think I'm going to add a, a kind of a slightly different uh, perspective to, to this as well, because in some ways I'm not concerned about tech. Um, mm. Tech has been around for ages. I was looking up that YouTube is 15 years old. The first smartphone was around in 92, and I, the first iPhone was in 2007. The, the thing is, we, we are laggards to some extent in L&D. Um, and the, the, the bigger challenge that I find is not so much the tech, because consumer-grade tech and devices have existed, as I've said, for quite some time. It is about trust. Um, because when I look at the... Um, the dynamics that support uh, technology adoption is it, trust, it's people processes and technology that create those three legs of the stool. And what I mean by trust is a couple of things is that we, I say we, but we will serve up content which is over bloated, um, far more than what people need. The tone of voice is very parent child, so I'm not suggesting trust and a variety of other things. So for me, um, absolutely endorse the comments that, that Bob, I didn't hear yours, Adam, and, and Danny's made, but I think a more fundamental or equally fundamental issue to look at is trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I think that, uh, that, um, that we, can, we can knock the tech, but of mm -hmm. course it's, it's people and what they are experiencing within any given organisation that underpins this. Um, the good news is, uh, whilst we were, we, we, took uh well we had a conversation perhaps challenging some of these accepted practices we did only lose six attendees during that time so uh <laughs> <laughs> so, so i wonder whether yeah, one, one, one of them was barbara years. as well one of them was That's barbara right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Well, just on that point i think this is where yeah. like you talked about end user perspective and understanding the concerns that people have i think mm -hmm. we can't be in the game where we're assuming what people need or jump jump at like noise that we don't know and because it's, it's unprecedented times like these concerns that people have we need to understand them because uh, if we don't yeah. understand them we're just assuming people need well-being and mental health and um remote learning uh remote work support all of that it's like no actually understand what's concerning them what's making them making them anxious are they stressing out about money and anxious about their jobs what are managers thinking are they thinking about things like 
will ways of working be different? What should I say to my team? All of these type of things that are very um, nuanced to an organization, we really need to tap into. And that way you get closer to the end user perspective of the concerns they have, because you can't jump at noise that we certainly don't know a lot about at the moment. I think it's really well, and, important. And, 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 oh, go on, Bob. Yeah, sorry. I would argue, and, and Barbara, you're spot on, is that's where you build trust. Mm. You know, for years, we have come to the table with a presupposed deliverable. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we come looking at the elephant, you know, if, if you know the metaphor, through the part in which we stare. And so we bring, we're already thinking course, class, lesson, deliverable, right? And, and, and what you're both talking about that I, that I think is brilliant is the fact that it, this is a time for us to listen. This is a time for us to understand what is going on. I use this word all the time, but in the workflow, because mm-hmm. only then will they say, you know what, then I trust you to build a deliverable that works for me. You understand my needs. You understand my anxiousness. You're empathetic about my stress and fear. It, we, that's, that, that's a different world for us to step into and a different kind of analysis for us to be a part of than we have historically been a part of before. And we've argued for years, you guys, that we're not invited in early enough. You know, I heard this, my gosh, I've heard this for 30 years that I wish people would come to me before they've already presupposed five days of training on blah, blah, blah. You guys, I haven't heard those questions asked lately. They're, 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 this, again, this is an open door for us to be allowed in to have those and be a part of those earlier conversations that build trust, that build understanding. We've not been a part of before because the, the audience is so receptive right now for help. So let's mm. step up and meet that need. Yeah. Yeah. I think this presents an opportunity for us to almost question everything in terms of, yes. you know, like that, as, as Bob said, like this moment where we've got to capitalize and, you know, this disruption that we've experienced, we can question everything. And something I was talking to a friend actually who used to work in the hospitality industry and they're now a driver uh, with Tesco's. They're like, you know, they're serving, um, you know, bringing around the food for people at their doors. And she told me that um, that in that induction they used to have for those drivers used to be two weeks. Now, after this situation's happened, they were seeing to speed for all of that. It's now gone down to two days. Now, if I was sitting there at Tesco's and learning development team, I'd be going, why will we do induction for two weeks? And um, if we can do it in two days and people could be competent, or then you go, why are we even doing induction at all in the way we're doing it? I think we just have this opportunity to like question everything in terms of what our practices are now and really challenge them. So, mm. uh, Just one uh, quick point on that. I saw, because um, obviously memes are kind of rife at the moment, aren't they? And I saw a meme that said, um, what is the biggest um, influencer of disruption in current times? And it had three, three prompts, CEO crossed out, CIO crossed out, Corona ticked. Mm. <laughs> it, it really is and i think that's the, what, what our, i think that what you described earlier barbara with the uh, the advances in technology are also indicators of changing in expectations we don't want to be coming out of this with the expectations of our clients and employees having changed even if the rhetoric hasn't hey barbara can i have a course you know what you know they'll still come on a course and then sit through that and then maybe even think well, could could this not just have been an article, or could this, you know? So, so there is there's something about the the rhetoric probably won't change, but the expectations will change, and I think that we probably want to understand that a little bit more. But going back to your point, Adam, it's going to be more useful for us to consider everything that that surfaces or comes our way, an assumption that is yet there to be proved or or invalidated 
before we before we move forward with uh, with with taking an order. Now, going back to the current situation, many L and D people will still be busy right now. Um, many will be preparing for uh, for what comes next, but many will have time on their hands to reflect and develop themselves. Barbara, what would you recommend we as a profession do for ourselves during this downtime? Uh, I think three three quick things. Uh, one is to be kind to yourself. None of us have the answers. None of us know how long it's going to go go on. And uh, mental health is a big, big um, consideration for me and um, I'll always be the champion for that. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is something that I've challenged myself to do is to consider what's the biggest source of disdain for you in the learning development, uh, stable, and then hack the living daylights out of it. Um, so to your point, um, David, the rhetoric will still continue. And so use this time to sort of think about, OK, if that's still going to be the, the mindset of people, how can I hack the life out of it? So that's one thing. And uh, the other thing, um, which is a, a personal perspective of mine, is that articulating design decisions um, uh, I've, I've learned to finesse that over the years. I, I wouldn't, you know, still still uh, something that that challenges me. But we have access um, to uh, to to people we can test it on. We've got family and we've got friends. So take the time to uh, think about something that you're quite passionate about and try and convey that in really layman terms to to people that you're closest to, and just kind of use that time developmentally in that way. So those are three examples from me. Wonderful. Mm. Thanks, Barbara. Uh, Bob, you've been running workshops yourself during this time that, uh, that highlight some of the areas. <laughs> but, but more broadly, where would you say that people should focus? Yeah, well, you know, I, we are the cobbler's children who have no shoes. I don't know if you guys have heard that expression, but I, if I've heard any complaint in our industry for years, it's that we are so busy. Um, we are we, we are pushed so hard. Um, we, we're the industry with with underfunded, under-resourced and not given enough time right, <laughs> to do what we do. Well, again, friends, here we sit in a moment where we have some time. Barbara's point was brilliant. I, I completely support all three, particularly the caring for thyself. As learning professionals, we are by our DNA carers for others. Mm. Um, and, and I think I, I truly believe that in, to do that, you have to first care for oneself. And, and so please do. Um, what I'll run at for a little bit is, is um, let's, let's use this opportunity to learn. Let, let's go out and investigate approaches and technologies that we've not tried before with the time that we have. Um, understand workflow design performance first approaches that, that have been around for decades. Guys, this isn't new stuff. This, these have been, many of these have been around for decades um, that we can understand these new approaches. And to Barbara's point, we have the optimum testing ground um, with those around us and even those within our work, because as I said earlier, the desperation level right now as the dust does begin to settle in this iterative stage is still extremely high. So, so people's receptiveness to trying new things that might help them immediately um, and, and technologies are, are again higher than others. Um, one other thing I would recommend, David, too, that's interesting that a gentleman brought up in a call earlier that I think uh, I was very taken by is that right now, um, learners are harvesting some great stuff. Um, this guy did an analysis across the organization of what learners were doing, not what they were getting training on or those kind of things. They said, look, when, in a given day, what are you using to get by? You know, what's helping? And, and, and he, what he found was this rich, amazing, um, uh, you know, just greenfield of brilliant tools, shortcuts, uh, networks um, that were being built that were not being aggregated or shared. 
And so he thought, and, and so in the time he had, and wasn't doing classes, wasn't doing the normal stuff, he said this was a great moment for him and his, his learning organization to step up as the, again, aggregator of that. And at the same time, they learned things about their worker, about the organization that in 20 plus years of being in that company, he'd never been able to um, understand before, nor did learners have time to tell him about. So mm. just a couple ideas. Wonderful. Thanks, Bob. And uh, what about you, Adam? What do you think that, uh, that people, perhaps with some downtime, should be focusing their uh, development? I think there's been a lot of really good points already. Um, and I'll circle back around to the start. I think that Bob said about, you know, looking at ourselves and are we offering something that's adaptive, responsive and iterative? And I think that that's where we can stop ourselves and ask ourselves that question, are we? And how can we for our people? Because that's what I think that's what I think we should be doing, you know, making sure that we're responding to every, uh, concerns and questions that come in almost every day from, from people. So I think that's that's one way of checking ourselves at, at this time while we've got this opportunity, I'd say. Which does lead me on to my next question, which has its uh, has its differences, because I think that there's one thing to develop ourselves, but there's something about the advancement of the profession. Now, I've heard plenty of people saying that things will never be the same again, which is likely to be an exaggeration, but within it, some truth. Some things won't be the same uh, after all of this. Um, we will quite rightly challenge old accepted ways of doing things like perhaps flying employees halfway around the world to head office in the hope that some of the company culture will rub off on them in some way. Instead, we might try to understand the specific problems and experiment to make the required difference. How can we embrace the new world and even create it? So what will this take for L&D to do this, Adam? I think there's, um, there's three things, that uh, David. I think, first of all, Something I've already mentioned already is challenge, first of all, your old practices that are in place, you know, and look at the whole landscape of L&D and how it's offered right now in your organization and, and challenge that. Um, but ultimately, something that, that has been a narrative throughout this whole dialogue we've had is I think that to make that change, it has to start and end with your people and, you know, I'm, I'm really understanding what they're going through and understanding the, the new friction that they're experience and act and respond to that. And once you you can unpack that and you understand it, then you won't you won't just jump to solutions or jump to classroom or anything like that. You'll start to hopefully build build what what matters and build what matters to them and their concerns. And I think that given that we are going through a new situation and there's anxiety, that will people will have new challenges. And I think if you can. Um, help people at their point of need, as I know that Bob often references, then LMD won't be left in the dark, I think. And I think we will be able to um, help people every day and every week with um, support on the job where they need it most. So ultimately, I think that, you know, it's about us speaking to our people like, and, and also, as Bob said, listening to our people and understanding what they're going through, the challenges, the questions, et cetera. And of course, making it contextual, anything that's, you know, what, not just questions that any old employee could come up with, what are questions that are your, that matter to your people and your organization? I think if we if we nail all of those points, then I think we'll be on the right track. And lastly, I think it's about doing digital right, um, you know, because people will turn to tech in these situations. They'll turn to gamification, virtual reality to try and um, try and change up how they've maybe done things before. But I would say, like, think about, like, as Barbara said, it's not necessarily just all about the technology. It's about how how can you use the tech 
to help your people um, with the questions they have. And I think then you'll find the right technology rather than going to tech first, think about the problem you're trying to solve. It always goes back to like the people will will say you see it on LinkedIn quite a lot. People saying um, I've been out of the loop for a, for for a while. What technology is out there? It's almost as if you know you're you're looking for the solution without really understanding the problem. The approach is going back to what you mentioned uh, uh, earlier, Bob. If you have a if you have a solid approach, then it's it's easy. You're you're just looking for tools in your in your tool drawer, and you'll find that that there isn't necessarily one silver bullet. There's plenty of different things you could do once you've got a proof. Of concept but there is nothing that's going to replace fully understanding what it is that you need uh, to help people with in order for an organization to, to, to achieve it so solid solid suggestions there uh, Adam uh, Barbara what do you think it's going to take for LD to embrace the new world and uh, and even create it so one of the terms that um, makes you bristle a little bit is that we don't have, have a seat at the table well, what I'm going to suggest is you pull up a chair and you engage in the conversation. You pull up a bloody chair and engage in the conversation. <laughs> and and um, how I'm, I'm suggesting that we do that is that we take this time, this time that we have to do user insights. So um, Adam's uh, referred to that already. Um, but in re really practical terms, I've kind of mapped out in my head kind of how, how we can do this. So um, we... I've even sort of thought about some questions if that would be helpful to some people, um, but we would engage with um, our, our audience and we will ask them a variety of questions which could include what's the optimal length time for, for virtual calls and what useful open source tools are you using, are you energised in the morning or the, the afternoon in this kind of new dynamic, what kit are you using, what resources are you finding helpful, where's your pain, Do, which external communities are you joining, how difficult is it to access um, our stuff remotely? Um, and then crucially, and, and, and something that I really enjoy doing and, and more face-to-face, -face, but we use this time to do um, ethnographic research, which is how you do observation. Um, and if there's a way that you can engage with a few people and join a virtual session and just sort of understand some of the, the, the pain and the friction that they're having, understanding the issues that have around keystrokes getting into sites, their desk set up and then round up all of that data set, engage with your tribe, um, which I'm suggesting could be um, HR for the kind of employee well-being and um, engagement uh, piece, IT to understand the uh, technology roadmap and, and how that forms um, and bubbles up into digital and then workplace and facilities team, bring something compelling together and then take that with your seat at the table um, to, to the organization and then form something in the back of that. So really compelling user insight that L&D is leading on. So, so engage in dialogue rather than go back to delivery. Let's not go yeah. back to, to open up the programs again, see if we can make up for lost time. Maybe we'll get double the, the attendees in or, or drive traffic towards the LMS. Spend the time on, on gathering user insights to understand what it is that people are trying to do and helping them to address the friction in in their pursuit of their uh, of their goals makes makes complete sense and what about you bob yeah I, I, brilliant points made i i guess you know there's there's an expression you know if, if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail and and so you know i you guys we gotta we've got to get out of this why well, I'll, I'll put a stake in the ground friends i do not think the classroom will, will emerge from this the same ever again i don't see how it can um, and so if you fall back to that and that mentality, I, I, 
a, a challenge. I mean, I have a dear friend who's a senior learning leader at a large organization over here that is actually because of the nature of what they do, onboarding hundreds of thousands, hundred thousand plus employees. Their old onboarding approach, which he oversaw, was two four days of residential training flown into two sites. Um, gone, can't do it. So here they are hiring at a record rate. And the normal way of doing things is completely off the table. He and his team in one week respond that to virtual. Um, but again, not technology-wise, but methodology-wise, such that it worked and is working. So how can that company look at him as a learning leader and go, so uh, your course schedule again? When, when, when's, when's, when's that wing of the building opening? I mean, it, yes, this will be different. It will be different. So, I, Barbara, I, I, I so uh, love where you went with we have to change. It starts with us changing the dialogue. You want to see the mm -hmm. table? I've always, that's always bothered me, you guys, because here's my question. How, how have we earned it? How you guys, I see the table isn't just put there for you. You earned that. And everyone sitting around that, that table that has a C in front of their name, they have pressures that they face every day that I'll be honest, a lot of L&D professionals don't. Mm -hmm. I'll just say it. Right. They, they have an intimacy, under, intimate understanding of the business and its outcomes and its failures and its P&L like L&D doesn't. So if we want to seat at the table, friends, we better start asking different questions. We, we better be prepared to hear what we hear and, and say, OK, look, I have a solution for that. And, and don't don't sit there and go, how will this fit into my course catalog and how? Nope. Right. And so we have to understand and research these new approaches, methodologies. We have to watch our industry intimately during this time because people are doing brilliant things, mm -hmm. plagiarized stuff uh, legally, right? So that we can we can we can you know bring this out in a different way. We have to get how, uh, we have to get out of the training business and into the performance business. It's been one of my catchphrases for years. It's what I challenge my team with, but it will change the way we look and do things. Which leads me on to my final question quite neatly, Bob, because um, with all of this to consider, um, the as you said, pe people have been doing this stuff for, for many years. So where would you recommend people go next for further exploration uh, and details on the know-how that we've been talking about, Bob? Well, I, if, if it's okay, I'm going to I'm going to share some of my bias here. Um, yeah. I, I think I think that I think David James, if I may give you kudos here, I think that and and you'll see this a lot, right, Barbara? Right, you see this a lot online. Um, and and there, what we're, what we're learning very quickly, guys, is there's a lot of noise, and it's all well-intended noise. I, I'm not. I'm going to please hear me carefully here because I think everyone is trying to offer solutions and do their best. But I think that there there are leaders emerging. I think there are ways of thinking emerging. I would. I would I would seek these people out. David, your podcast is brilliant. Um, subscribe all the time. Um, we offer one called Performance Matters, similar to the kind of a, that kind of thing. Um, seek out these networks and individuals um, to to do. Um, look for on our site. We have five moments of need. You want more on that workflow stuff? By all means, um, you know I would seek out from your colleagues right now. Um, let's get past. Let's let's get past past asking what the answer is and ask, how are you finding answers? Mm -hmm. And and that the answer to that question will really help us find um, these, in the middle of the noise, these remarkable resources that are really out there. And David, thank you for the work that you do, by all means. Likewise, Bob. Uh, thank you very much. Barbara, where, uh, where do you yeah. recommend people go next? 
Sure. Um, echo the, the points that uh, Barbara said, your uh, resource, uh, Loop, a uh, fantastic source of information. A couple of quick things, mindful of the time. Uh, towards, towards maturity, um, I think now Emerald Works have some really mm. fantastic examples of high-performing learning organisations. That would be a great place to start. Um, and crucially, they look at the dimensions that make it so, because otherwise you, you don't really understand it. Um, another source would be to look at organizations that have a large dispersed field um, organization. So um, I've seen some fantastic stuff that Royal Mail in the UK are doing. Um, they have to do it that way um, just because of the nature of, of their, the, the ways of working and their uh, dispersed staff. Um, and then also to, you know, uh, engage with your, your personal learning networks and communities and outside of L&D as well. That's the thing that I regularly sort of say to people. A lot of my sources of inspiration are outside mm -hmm. of L&D as well as L&D. Mm -hmm. um, look at my early point, look at service-based um, organisations and see how they do that very well. Those are my, my recommendations. Wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. And Adam? I think very much the same, uh, David, if I'm honest. I think you honestly put this question in there just so we all mention you. Um, but sorry. I think, yeah, you're the, I mean, the podcast, obviously, you know, uh, there's some great episodes on there which people do talk about how you move out of the old world and into the new world. And, you know, I know that your white paper in particular, um, talking about point of point of work and learning in the blood work workflow learning whatever you want to call it it's it's kind of captured there really well uh we mentioned danny earlier on i think there's some and also there's some great people doing some really good things as barbara said in in certain organizations which may mm. this style right now which we're like remote working some people aren't even affected by it because they've always been set up for that and i think that they might be organizations to look into and find out who is the L&D person there and you know again reach out to them on linkedin and speak to them and you know, find out more about different practices and approaches. I think that's a, it's a good angle. Wonderful. Thank you, Adam. So as we wrap up, what's going on in the world now is worrying and uncertain in terms of health, livelihoods and our profession. People are talking about the new normal. And whilst I'm not keen on that uh, as a term, it would be remiss of us to think expectations of L&D will remain the same for very long. So it's up to us to recognise the potential of L&D and to develop a vision of our practice and teams based on outcomes that matter to our stakeholders rather than traditional measures of engagement and satisfaction. There are plenty of examples of people doing so and I've spoken with many of them on the podcast that's been mentioned and three of them today. So if I can thank them again, uh, thank you so much for being guests, Bob, Barbara and Adam. Our pleasure. If you'd thank like you. To get in touch with me, um, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us today, and thank you again to the panel. Thank you. Thank you.